That's a groovy button. What does it say? Welcome to our very special Unlucky 13 Halloween 2017 episode. Oh, I suppose you wonder why this is the 13th Halloween episode. Well, that's because we've got somebody very special on the show today. Is it Frankie Frankenstein? No, but you're getting warmer. Is it Mummy Man? I think you should come in and find out to the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast. Ah, 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 ah. Wait, wait, don't tease me. You don't mean we've actually got Ron Masak, the Count himself. I bid him welcome. The Count in an exclusive interview? Of course. This would not be a Halloween special if we were talking about the monkeys without our friend, the Count. That's right, folks. Our exclusive Halloween-themed interview with the Count himself, Ron Masak. That's absolutely right. And for those of you who are still tuned in at this point after that little diatribe... All the shtick. I am Alan Oraculo Williams. And I am Al Frankie Bigley. That's right. We welcome you to the skipped episode 13 of the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast. And yes, this is a very special Halloween-themed episode. And besides, I don't care. 12 doesn't go with Halloween, period. It's just not unlucky. You know, Frankie Frankenstein, that doesn't even sound Italian. Of course not. What do you think? Sounds more like Liverpool or Manchester. Now comes in roll-on, too, of course. (laughs) For those of you that care about such strict numbering... Yes, there's strictness in ordering, please. We are lords of chaos, not order. Oh, and it's like, that's a Dr. Fatelin, I'm sorry. I'm sure we can come back and add number 12 later and somehow rearrange it. iTunes will never know. That's right. What do they know anyway? They don't pay attention to anything. We hope you guys are getting ready for Halloween. It's We realize that this is actually unusual for us to be able to do a podcast so close to the one that we've released. But uh, we will get back. We have a follow-up issue, a follow-up episode coming to episode 11, which will be episode 12. Later on. Uh, can you repeat that, please? Uh, no, I probably can't, but episode 11, we discussed Hear No Evil, the 25th anniversary of the Monkey's Tribute CD. We will have additional one coming up that in episode 12, which follows at some point after episode 13. That's for the benefit of those of you who come in late. Your eyes are probably crossed like mine right now. Just don't do it. That's Just right. don't worry about it. Just enjoy, in the words of that famous cinema thespian, Mike Myers, as Austin Powers. Yeah, baby. It's freedom, man. That's what it is, baby. So let's not have any more hijinks. Let's get right into this chilling, spine-tingling interview with the great character and voice actor, Ron Masak. Well, the reason... Let me explain. I'm going to do another intro just in case you determine which one you want in post-production. But you know, as we've talked in past episodes, Al, when you get to the second half of the second season of the TV show, let's be brutal. And I'm sorry, guys, to those of you that like... Monkeys Mind Their Manor, Monkeys at the Wheel, Monkeys Las Vegas, Mijikojo, all of Does such a creature exist? Yes, unfortunately. Those episodes leave an awful lot to be desired. But there is one episode that stands out. And not only, and it's actually the Monstrous Monkey Mash, which is appropriate for Halloween. Not, and it's special to us not only because that's where we derive our... That's, that's a goody budget, what does it say? And then our name, part of our name... Texas Prairie Home Companion Chicken Monkey Podcast. Thank you, Butch Patrick. So, um, But our next guest steals the show. You know how great I feel about El Diablo. Who is this Peter Whitney in the episode first one? But that is the transition episode. They're still dressed like the monkeys. Bandit without a nickname. Band without a nickname. But... This gentleman that's going to join us is the second greatest 
caricature character. We are fortunate enough to welcome the man who plays the Count. It is with indeed a lot of pleasure that we welcome to the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys Podcast family, the incomparable Ron Masak. You are officially the biggest name that we've interviewed for our podcast so far. Well, good. That's the way you get going. It's not, not everybody that gets to interview Count Dracula. That's true. That's true. Actually, it's not everybody that gets to interview the king of the commercials. So, hey, well, you're welcome. <laughs> well, actually, it's really funny. Um, before we get started, I said in doing the research, I learned IMDb is not the you know it may not be the no, the end all be all for it, but I learned a lot of stuff about you that I had no idea. And so I I want to talk about your I want to talk about the the episode, but I also want to talk about your career because there's some things I learned that I went wow. <laughs> It just kind of well, made me. Like I'm here. All right, let me uh, let me introduce you to my friend. This is my podcast partner. Now I apologize. The way that we ended doing it is we have to hand the microphone back and forth because we can't do two mics on this. So hold on one second. I'll let you. I'll let Alan introduce himself. Okay. Thank you so much for participating, sir. And we love having you on the show. Well, it's my pleasure. All and right. Good luck, to both of you, in your career. My, th- I appreciate it. So. Um, all right, so I'm I'm going to do the introduction, but I'm I'm going to do an introduction for later to get you in. But uh, uh, let me get find myself real quick, because yeah, like, whatever you have to do. Yeah, cool. I'm here, my right. wife just went out to to meet a friend for lunch, so I'm here, and I'm yours. Great, I appreciate it, Ron. Thanks very much. So, all right, so you know, Al, as we talked about in the past, most of the second half of the second season of the Monkeys TV show. Is pretty much just lame because the guys really didn't care. But there is one exception, and that is the monstrous monkey mash, which is which is my favorite episode. Not only because of the fact that it's from where we take our name, the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion, but our guest at this time steals the show. You know how I feel about Peter Whitney and El Diablo. Who is this? Right. This is the second greatest guest star on the series, and. I am proud to welcome to the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys Podcast family, the one and the only Ron Masek. So, Ron, if I may, won't you come in? I bid you welcome. <laughs> oh, thanks so much for joining us, Ron. It is it is really cool. And, and as I said, we want to talk about the, the monstrous monkey mask because we're going to make this a very uh, Halloween-themed episode that we're going to do with regards to most of the interview. But... In doing research, I found out some incredible things about you that I I want to go back through the whole through your whole career, and hopefully it won't take eighty one years. <laughs> okay, I was born at a very early age. Uh, so, in in reading this, in, in doing my research, you must have been bitten by the acting bug at a very early age. What what drew you into acting? I really was. Well, you know, we were always playing cowboys and Indians when I was a kid, and and the you know Batman and Robin and Tarzan and. Things like that. But when I saw a movie called The Jolson Story, a story about Al Jolson's life. Larry Parks. Larry Parks played Al Jolson and made him so charming. And I said, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to entertain. I want to make people laugh and applaud and things like that. So that started me. That and, and athletics. That was, that was always a pretty good athlete. It was either going to be baseball as a career, and I would have been out of it by the time I was 30, or, or show business. And I chose show business, and I'm glad. Well, absolutely. And that, and you, you, when you brought up the Jolson story, that was one of the first things that I, I had, the wow moment, 
There's a story that shows up on IMDb that you actually stopped a fight in elementary school at the age of 10 by doing oh, yeah. Jolson. Yeah, we had a little short uh, out in the center field. There was a our, was our school and it had three levels of, of porches. And all of a sudden there was, a you know, an argument that started over stupid things and this and that and the other thing. So I said, oh, the heck with it. And I got up on the on the roof and I got down on one knee and I started singing. I started doing the Jolson songs. That is an amazing... I started looking, and they said, Masek's crazy. <laughs> well, hey, you know, I, I have the same way. I, I'm, I'm a big personal fan of old-time radio. I, my favorite channel on Sirius is Radio Classics, and I love Theater to the Mind. And that's one of the reasons that, that drew me into, into show business. Not necessarily show business, but loving entertainment in all forms, so... But you mentioned being an athlete. The other thing that I found out very interesting, and it blew me away, was that the White Sox offered you a baseball contract at the age of 16, and your scout was the great, uh, oh, uh, Rogers Hornsby. Rogers Hornsby, yeah, the great second baseman for the Cardinals. Tell, yeah. how, I, what was that well, like as, as, as a 16-year-old? Well, I was, we, we didn't have a Little League when I was a kid, so we had a, if you wanted to play in a park league, you had to play for 18 and over and uh i was a I, you know so i was a little guy i was in my growing process when i went into high school i was five foot two when i came out i was six foot one so I, it was a growing process and my hero as a kid was a chicago white Sox shortstop named chico Carrasquel. Uh, you won't read about him in the hall of fame he didn't get there but he was the first latin american player to be elected to the all-star game mm-hmm. and i just liked the way he played the game and he smiled, and he talked to his fans and everything else. So I was probably the only Caucasian in America with a nickname of Chico. <laughs> I love it. Now, well, that brings me to my next question. Who have you got? How many games does it take the Dodgers to win, and do you have your tickets? Uh, I gave up my season tickets after 40 years because mm-hmm. we moved a, a good piece away from them, you know, from the stadium. So it would be like a three-hour jaunt every time. Mm-hmm. So I gave them up after 40 years, and I'm glad I did because – they become very, very expensive. I'm a purist. I don't like car. Uh, I don't like corporate baseball. I agree. I still, I still haven't gotten over the, uh, you know, the designated hitter. I figure if a guy's making over a million dollars, he should play nine innings both ways. Absolutely, I like that. I, I'm, I'm a long-standing Tigers fan. I, I've, I've discovered them in '68 when I moved to Detroit. So yeah, you, you can imagine my heart sink when Justin Verlander got traded to the Astros, and uh, but I'm happy for him. But yeah, I, I agree. I'm a purist. There, there's a good, there's a good example of old baseball. Mm-hmm. Danny McClain was the last guy to pitch to win 30 games, right? Absolutely. Yep. We can't even get a guy to to win 20 games, or go past five or six innings. It's 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 crazy, but they're yeah, getting a hundred million dollars. It, it, yeah, it, but you know, it it, it, it unfortunately it's a it's a byproduct of our times. But yeah, you know, at least we'll we'll always have. You'll have the Go-Go Sox of 59. I'll have the 68 and 84 Tigers. And you've got the Dodgers because I read the story that you were in the dugout uh, during the uh, during the A's-Dodgers series when uh, I was at home watching Kirk Gibson hit the game-winning home run in 84. And you were in this, you were in the dugout sitting next to Steve Yeager when Gibson hit the home run in 89. That was wild. Correct. Correct. So. Kirk Gibson was an interesting man. He's the only guy I ever saw him play Major League Baseball with an NFL mind. <laughs> yes. I mean, he he attacked the baseball game like he was playing football. Mm-hmm. If he struck out, he would walk back to the dugout and whack himself over the head with a bat. I mean, he was, and his mother was a school teacher. 
Yes. And I said, and he had language on the way on the way back to the dugout. And I said to him in the locker room, I said, Kurt, how can you, how can you, you know, you're going to fail seven out of ten times and still be get to the Hall of Fame. If you fail seven out of ten times as a hitter, you're still hitting 300. Mm-hmm. Like, so when you go back there and the kids can hear you swearing, what would your mother think? And she's a, she was a school teacher. He said, my mother would plant one right in my rear end. <laughs> yes, indeed. Absolutely. Right back then, think your mother's standing there. Mm-hmm. There are, yeah, but, and you and I could probably talk baseball forever because, yeah, we, we, we grew up, we grew up watching it when it was, when it was a gr- the greatest game of all, so. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you don't, you don't hear about anybody like Ted Williams or Joe DiMaggio or, or Stan Musial anymore. You don't hear about those guys. No, and, and guys like Norm Cash, you know, hit 44 home runs and hit 361 and, and 61 to win, you know, to win the batting title. That, those people, yeah. and Gibson, can you imagine Gibson against some of these guys today? Oh, incredible. And the amazing thing about it is uh, they just, the kids just don't understand. Mm-mm. You know, they're, they're comparing all of the, the statistics to when television came in. Yeah. You know, so well, let's send this guy to the Hall of Fame because I remember him from television. Yeah. Well, there are guys that belong in the Hall of Fame that weren't on television. Absolutely. Over, hitting over 300. When I was a kid, if you didn't hit 280, you couldn't be in the major leagues. Mm-mm. You know, you had you had to <laughs> contribute. I played I played golf once with Al Kaline, mm-hmm. and he was you know one of the few guys that ever went right from never never played the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. He went right from high school to, to the major leagues. Yes, I mean that's how good he was. Mm-hmm. Well, then when you think about that, and then you look at things like uh, if I, if I mentioned the Mendoza line, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So you know, they just it, that's why I say I just don't. I don't like corporate baseball. Mm-hmm. I don't need an organist to, to yell, you know, da, 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 da. I don't need that. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't, I, don't need, I don't need lights going around the stadium saying, you know, yell loud, applaud. Yeah, true. No, do something on the field. I will give you a standing ovation. Mm-hmm. If you hit one out of the park and you're on the way to this dugout, I'm going to give you a standing ovation. Absolutely. Tip and I'll appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Same who goes eight or nine innings and, and comes off that field and is relieved. He did his job. Absolutely. I said, hey, I mean, I remember Sandy Kopech, you know, what, 28 and 3. Mm-hmm. Or Denny McLean, you know. Who was the other guy with Denny? I I'm having a senior it was, moment. It was Mickey, well, it was Mickey Lowitz that year. That He was Mickey, the one that yeah. he was the one that won the series. He went 3-0 and in the series to win. Right. right. Mickey was the guy I was thinking of. He mm-hmm. won 20. Yep. He won 20. I don't know if we have a 20-game winner this year, did we? I don't think so. I, I, I kind of backed off of following when the strike canceled the season because I was really not happy with, with Major League, with the owners. And yeah. I'll admit, I'll admit Sosa and McGuire brought me back a little bit. The Red Sox brought me back a little bit when they broke the jinx. And I watched yeah. a little bit more last year when the Cubs won. But for the most part, I kind of just, you know, I've lost, the, I've lost the passion for baseball that I used to have. It was my first love as a kid. Well, so. mine too. You know, we, are, we used to... In my neighborhood in Chicago, we would go play from sunup during the summer, mm-hmm. sun until it got dark. We would play with that baseball until we had to wrap it with friction tape, you know. And now you see the ball hit the. This is here's here's what I don't understand. You see the ball hit the dirt and they throw it out of the game. Now right. that same ball can be hit to left field, bounce off the wall. The left fielder will throw it into second base, and the second baseman either tags the guy out or not. And then they throw that ball back to the pitcher. Think about it. Stupefying, it is. Yeah. But and 
piggybacking off of that, your love of sports, I've also been I've also read that you were considered to be one of the greatest salesmen of all time. And two of the things that I looked at the the fact that I envy the you were in a training video with the greatest NFL coach of all time, Vince Lombardi. Yep. And then uh, I read about a, a a little known movie called Dragster, where you ended up impersonating Mel Allen. How about that? <laughs> I remember him well from this week in baseball. Him and Red Barber and Scully, and I was a huge Ernie Harwell fan. I loved Ernie Harwell. Ernie Harwell was one of the greats. He was one of the greats. So he's in the hall, and the, the reason he's in the Hall of Fame. It's because he was so great. Mm-hmm. You know, we were blessed out here. I mean, when I was in Chicago, we had Bob Elson and yep. and Jack Brickhouse was doing television. Mm-hmm. He did the White Sox and the Cubs. Yes. And then they give Harry Carey a statue. So go figure. Yeah. Tell so going back to the going back to the training film with Lombardi, talk about being in his presence. What it was like well, for you? The reason the reason I was I was actually hired. I was already out in California, and I had already done Ice Station Zebra and couple of other movies and uh, so they the writer who was an old friend of mine knew I wouldn't be intimidated or frightened by Lombardi because he could scare the heck out of a lot of people mm-hmm. and, and uh, that's one of the few films I ever did in chronological order we shot every scene in order because that's the way he wanted to do it and he was an intimidating man but he was he would to me he was great he kept calling me coach <laughs> and I said I said coach if you're having trouble remembering my name it's the same as it is in the script. It's Ron. He said, I know that. What do you think, I'm dumb? He said, no, I'm calling you coach because I'm counting on you to get me through this thing. Wow. Amazing. And, you know, he was incredible. Now, I've got one more thing before we dive into the monkey, to, to the, our favorite monkeys episode. One of the things that I've noticed in your career, and, and I've seen it from you know the monkeys, I Dream of Jeannie Bewitched, to Murder, She Wrote, to the police stories episodes is your ability to shift easily back and forth being comfortable doing both drama and comedy which has always been easy for you and why well, I, well comedy is always tough because you're you know you're, you're relying on i'll give you a perfect example of that we did a show called insight once and we were doing the, the heavy drama and it was uh, harvey corman and people like that the comedy people and we were doing the drama and upstairs was Ed Asner and the other guy, you know, Edwin Andrews and things like that. They were doing the comedy. Mm-hmm. And I said, director, I said, didn't we have a reverse cast? He said, no. He said, you give a drama actor, heavy drama actor, a comedy, they take way too long to get there. The comedy actor knows the timing, even in a drama. You know, get to the punchline, get to, get to the point of uh, what you're trying to do. Absolutely. Well... I can see that I, I, knowing, having watched Murder She Wrote, knowing that you're very good at that. But to me, you are mo- to me you're you're best known as a comedy actor. And I'm gonna let Al. Al has a couple of questions he wanted to ask about the sh- the show and the, uh, the Monstrous Monkey Mash in particular. So I'm gonna hand it. Off. I'm gonna I'm gonna fake the draw and, and pitch out to Al for just a second. Right. All right, talking about that particular episode, Monstrous oh, Monkey Mash. That's that episode. That's my favorite episode. Excellent. Well, we're not really privy to the way that show was cast. So was the role of the Count in that episode, is it, did you have to audition for that, or did the producers request no, you? No, I didn't. I was doing a lot of, uh, I was guest starring a lot of screen gems on the Columbia lot. And uh, most of the people knew me and knew I was a little nuts. 
and they needed somebody who could work with poor nuts, <laughs> you know, especially in the improvisational part of it. So uh, here's an interesting thing that I don't think is in any of your notes. The guy who did my makeup was one of the legendary makeup artists, Purse Westmore. Oh, wow. You know, of the Westmore family. Sure. And, and because of timing, you never got to see what he actually did. The first day, he actually put a uh, like a bald paint on me, covered that with a, a false toupee because he wanted the count to be old until the boys got there and then pretend to be young. Interesting. So but the second day, they said, no, we're not going to have time to do that, so don't do, it, don't do it that way. But I was always thrilled. And Purse was wonderful because the first, the first day he was making me up, one of the assistant directors came over the maker room and they said, well, they're ready for Mr. Maysack. And he said, Purge looked at him, he said, go tell them they're not ready for Mr. Maysack because you don't get Mr. Maysack until Mr. Westmore is through with him. Excellent. And, well, here it goes. I'm going to get fired. <laughs> he back and say, Maysack don't want to come. Amazing. Yeah. Well, you looked great. You know, the, the makeup was great. Now, a lot of your scenes also in that episode were with the beautiful Arlene Martell. God rest her soul. She was wonderful. Right. Um, talk a little bit about working with her and what she was like. Easy. She's totally professional. And and uh, as I said, we did a lot of improvisation in there uh, in ad-libs. And she just went right along with whatever the heck I said. And and the director just told me, you know, run with the ball because sometimes, you know, sometime during that shooting, this guy might not want to come out of his dressing room. That one might not want to come out of his dressing room. So we were ad-libbing. And that was, if you recall, the my favorite line, I think, in there was, uh, I'm getting ready to throw the switch. And this was really right after New York. Had do, you remember, do you remember the last time I did this? New York went black. That's it. I love I loved it. Right. Excellent. Yeah, it was a very That's topical reference monkey. then. That was no mummy. That was a monkey. <laughs> oh, we've referenced that line a few times in past episodes here. Yes, we love that. Now, you mentioned ad-libbing. Was there a lot of that going on on this set, especially during the, the musical romps and things? Yeah. Well, it was with me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not to brag or anything, but a couple of those ideas were mine. The, the batteries on the Frankenstein, you know, the neck. A uh, couple of those things. It was uh, just having a lot of fun. With, with, the, with, with the fake backdrop. <laughs> oh, yes. Boom. Bada-bing, bada-bing, bada-boom. But my, my personal favorite line was the one, I can control them with my mental powers. Woo! You know, I think we got a hit. <laughs> that was an Adler. That but, was an Adler. But yeah, you know, another interesting thing about that, I, I think, you know, I'm sure, the only one that saw me without makeup during that whole thing was Mickey Jones, because Mickey and I were in wardrobe the same day, mm -hmm. and I told him what I was going to do. But I don't think Mickey Dolans and, and uh, Torque, when when they went on the tour later on with Mickey, without the uh, Mike. Uh, we got to talk about, you know, the episode. Mm -hmm. They loved it. I was... Oh, that, what was the other one? I, I remember the other one I lived in mm -hmm. the, with the painting. When she leaves she leave the painting. Better mm -hmm. composition. <laughs> Better composition. <laughs> oh, what a, what a dummy. What uh, a dummy. I love it. I love it. I say, cut yourself, perhaps? <laughs> Hopefully. I love... No, to me, that was the great thing because... I mean, I could see Bella from the moment you opened the door and I said, Walt, you'll come in. I could, uh, it was, it was Bella and Dracula. I, I was, I was laughing. I talked a little faster because you had to in, in the, for, you know, for a half an hour show, you had to talk fast. 
couldn't mm-hmm. take time with it. But if you ever see the original Dracula with Bella, take a take a good listen. Mm-hmm. You can actually hear the camera whirring mm-hmm. when he's saying, Lontio, come in. <laughs> you can hear the camera going through the through the you know, the film going through the camera. Oh yeah. No, trust me. And if I'll send you the link to the podcast, you can hear that occasionally. I will reference. I will reference you as like, "Here, the monkey. Let's see how they do with that monster. Here, the monkey round." <laughs> but well, and Davy, when you, I, I think I broke up or almost broke up when Davy, we were playing patty fingers, patty cake or something, mm-hmm. and I think he whacked me. <laughs> he was. He was. He was known to do that every now and then. Yeah, well, yeah, he's been known to do that. He was a wonderful talent. It, the, the, and that brings me to my next question. Being Monkeys fans, we scrutinize a lot of these episodes. And we, and as we talked about, the second half of the second season, you know, once we get past the if the, the transition episodes, we call it, where they're still wearing the shirts, Mike's still wearing the hat, and they're the Monkeys as we know them. When we get to these episodes, it's like they've thrown in the towel and they're just going through the motions. Did you notice that a lot? Because... I, I hearken yeah. I hearken to uh, to Hans Conrad the outtake. He's oh I hate these bleeping kids when they're not you know they're they're, they're not being professional. Well and, and they and you know they they got to the point where you know they were as big as as the Beatles mm-hmm. United States they were really that big and I think it it got to the and the only ones you know uh, Mickey Dolan's was a child star and mm-hmm. circus boy and things like that and then Mickey was on or, or uh, Davy was on. You know, in the Palladium in mm-hmm. London on Broadway doing Oliver, you know. Yes. So they were used to a certain kind of stardom. Torque, on the other hand, would drove his brand new car right through the guardrail one day mm-hmm. and broke it, you know. And Mike Nesbitt didn't need any money. You know, That's his mother true. Out. But, but all right, in looking at this, in looking at this particular role as the count. Yeah. You've done uh, you've done a number of great comedy episodes over the years. You've been in a number of great series. Was this one of your favorite roles where you just really got to cut loose? I, I, it seems as if they gave you much more leeway. Yeah, I, yeah, that, it was. And uh, one of the police stories I did about six or seven or eight mm-hmm. police stories. One of the police stories they let me totally cut loose. I mean, the director came and said, "Do whatever you think is right." Because in the in the military, I was actually a military policeman. Mm-hmm. What else you can make an actor? I mean, that, 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 there's a mentality of our country. Mm-hmm. I was an entertainer and an actor. I go in the army and they make me a police, a military policeman. And I said to them, I said, "Why are you doing this? This is their answer. You're from Chicago." And I said, "What does that mean?" They said, "Well, you're either a good guy or a bad guy, and either way, we want you on our side." That's true. And before I forget, that was one of the things I'm going to thank you very much for your service. Uh, I, Al and I appreciate our freedoms, and we appreciate your sacrifices that you, you did but for serving. And, yeah, my brother was actually an Air Force MP. Uh, he was at Checkpoint Charlie when the wall came down. So, yeah. So we uh, shared we were, we, on the On the, on the All-Army show that we did, I, I was the only MP to ever go on that tour. And we were the last group in West Berlin mm-hmm. before they put up barbed wire. We, they put a barbed wire like a week after we left there. Mm-hmm. Wow! So I mean, and I and I wish I wish this country. I don't talk politics a lot, but I, but I just wish this country would learn to come together and realize what we're doing. Our military today is all volunteer. Yes. These kids volunteer to go into to go into action, and we've got protesters standing there and or kneeling for the 
flying. I mean, this is, it drives me crazy. I'm an old guy, but it drives me crazy. It, it, it yeah, and we could we we could talk politics for another couple we could, a couple of hours too. But yeah, I I agree with you, and I, I, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, it's, I, won't, I won't talk politics on social media. If my friends want to ask me my my opinion, I give it to them. Mm-hmm. But I try to give it to them from the from the old days. You know, absolutely. I always tease everybody and say I voted for Harry Truman again. And they said Harry Truman, why? I said he was the last president to retire, not a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Not a millionaire. He dropped two bombs and ended a war. Absolutely. He didn't go back and apologize for it. And when he got to Missouri. And the press said to him, Mr. President, what's the first thing you're going to do now that you're back home? And his answer was, carry the luggage to the attic. <laughs> yeah. that, every time he got invited to go speak, he turned it down because they were inviting him to speak for money. And he said, you don't want Harry Truman. You're trying to buy the office of the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And it's for sale. Oh, little did we know. Yeah. But yeah, well, yeah, these—they don't make them like Harry anymore. So yeah, that was the great oh, thing. Yeah. Remember this? You're too young. Remember the sign on his desk? The buck stops here. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And he was going after H.V. Kelton, born once, and he was gonna, and he was gonna punch some critic for picking on his wife singing or his daughter singing. Margaret. Yep. I, I remember. I remember. I remember. Margaret was a was a was a minor celebrity back then because of that. Yeah. And, and it's funny, uh, it, the Happy Days show brought that back to life when he talks about, uh, Richie mentioned Margaret Truman and being asked a question, and he gets, uh, women, and he stands up with, Margaret Truman. <laughs> yes. Um, just said Happy Days, it's amazing. I was just emailing today with Linda Pearl. Mm-hmm. That Great wonderful. actress. And I worked with all those guys. Absolutely. And see, that's what I say. I, I, I admire everything that you've done, and we're, and we're getting to my personal favorite, but before we do, I want to make a slight detour to uh, Crabapple Cove, and I want to talk a little bit about talk a little bit about working with uh, the great Angela Lansbury on Murder She Wrote. That it to me was was it me or did you did, did this show never seem to have bad scripts? Never had bad scripts. Peter Peter Fisher was an incredible writer. Lincoln Levinson and Peter Fisher get credit for creating it, but it was actually Peter Fisher who created it, and the last typewriter was his. Mm-hmm. This went through his typewriter last, and he was a brilliant, brilliant writer. And I had guest starred twice before I became the sheriff. And uh, over the years, many, many functions, I got to MC and introduce Angela. As a matter of fact, Angela was inducted into Television's Hall of Fame, and Charlie Durning and B. Arthur and I were the ones who inducted her, you know, on the stage. But I would always introduce her as somewhat this way, I would say, up until Murder, She Wrote, my wife used to say I was the only guy in the world who could wear a tuxedo and still look like a truck driver. And I said, that's okay with me now because I'm driving an 18-wheeler. <laughs> and I'm driving it next to the Rolls Royce of our business. Wow. Angela Lansbury's all class. She's 90, 92 years old right now, still working in theater. Just an incredible talent. And she has an impressive resume that can't be beat. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, nominated at the age of seventeen for a first movie. Now here's when a Charles Boyer with Gaslight. Oh yes. Now here's something that might jog a memory or two. On the Spade Cooley show, you are considered (laughs) right one of the first Elvis impersonations ever. Ever, yeah. 
Well, I started doing Elvis, uh, you know, locally with the, the kids in my neighborhood right around 56, I would think, 55, 56. And then uh, when I, 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 was, uh, I, I was the only non-Western performer to go into this nightclub on Ventura Boulevard, which I think is still there. And for the closing night of Tex Williams and the Whippoorwills, and my opening night, they, they had guests there like Gene Autry and Jimmy Wakeley and uh, Marty Robbins and Johnny Cash and people of that, and Spade was there, people of that ilk. And when I got up and I did my, my thing, my, you know, my turn, uh, Gene Autry looked at Spade and said, because Spade was the only one with the show at that time, he said, put this boy on your show Saturday night. I think he's going to do well. <laughs> so I went on Spade Cooley's show and did Hard Headed Woman. <laughs> oh, good song, good song. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I got to meet Elvis and I got to do my, I got to, I think I'm the only one that ever did him uh, that he got to meet personally. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's why I say all the things that we've discussed. I mean, when I, when I look about it, I, I'm, I'm just going, wow, 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 wow. And you've had such a, a wonderful career. And now we get to my personal fun, my personal favorite part because. Yeah, me being a fan of old time radio, growing up, I've I've been in the business. I was in the business for a while. I've done radio commercials and voiceover work. The king of the com- king of commercials. I the to me that was what endeared you to my heart. Two things. The uh, first of all, I'll talk about the one first because personally, I, I I love the fact that you do Groucho Marx, and if you were fifteen years, you were the spokes spokes for Vlasic Pickles. Yeah. How did that come about? Was it was that an extended audition process, or, or how did that come about? Uh, I'm having a senior moment again right now. Oh, Pat, no, no, I got it back. Pat Harrington Jr. was mm-hmm. the original Vlasic Pickle store, and he started out doing Groucho Marx. Mm-hmm. By the end of his run, when he got his series, you know, the television series, One by the end of that run, he was actually doing Pat Harrington as with a Groucho reading. So my my audition was to do... My impression of Pat Harrington's impression. <laughs> and by the time I finished my 15 years, it was basically just me with Groucho's readings. And I would actually have to tell the writer, you have to use the word R. Whatever you're going to do in the commercial, it has to be, hi, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. Because his R, Groucho's R's became an I. Mm-hmm. That's the nastiest thing I ever heard. <laughs> as, as the crunchiest big I've ever heard. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the singing, the singing one that we did, where, where we sang, "Hey Ham and Cheese, Hey BLT," you know that. Mm-hmm. I remember. I found I found that one on YouTube last night. I did. You did. Well, the Little Pickles are the Lennon sisters. Wow, I did not know that. A lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. I'm filling you with trivial things. Ah, no, hey, trust I'll me. You, I'll bet you the other commercial you loved is the one with George Prince. Uh, no, but I have to look that one up. No, oh. because I am. Um, because he died right before I was born, I'm a huge Lou Costello fan. Oh. And I came across one last night for uh, the Nestle's Go Ahead Bar. Yeah, yeah. Where you, so you can... and um, I know the character actor. I know and I've seen him before. I can't think of his name, but you guys are doing a play on Who's On First, and it just it melt it melted my heart. I loved it. Well, I did. I did. The, I did Lou about five times. The best one was for a cereal product called. Brand news. Yep. I haven't, actually, I haven't found those yet. I'm looking for them, but I'm still trying to find I don't them. Think, I don't think they're out there anywhere. 
but but they actually made the coat, and the pants I wore were you know belonged to Jackie Gleason, mm-hmm. and uh, and they had I mean they they did everything absolutely perfectly, and Chris Costello became a very dear friend, mm-hmm. dear friend of mine because I did a play that was written called Lou's on First based on her book, mm-hmm. and uh, and I played Lou, and Herb Edelman God rest his soul was a brilliant Bud Abbott. Wow. We, we did the play, and. Uh, we did the play reading, and the nicest. I went in the nicest compliments I ever got was from the head of the theater in London, who came up to us after that to, to uh, Herb and I, and he said, "I never liked Abbott and Costello as much as you made me love them today." That is awesome, Ron. Wow. I got to tell you. So I felt I felt pretty good about that. So, so tell me about the George Burns ones. I got I, now. I have to go. I'll have to go find George, that one. I did one with George Burns for uh, uh, shower, shower, shower massage. Okay. Shower massage. Water pick. Shower massage. Yeah, I think I think it was made by Water Pick. I'll have to check that. Yes, it is. It's a Water Pick. And what happened there was, I didn't do the best George Burns impression. Richie Little and those guys were all trying out for it. What I did was I did George's act. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I did lines from his act. Now, we get there the, the, the day of the shoot, and the piano player gets there and he said, Ron, you want to run over the music? I said, what music? He said, didn't they send you music? This is a singing thing. I said, no, they didn't. So George was on his way, so I had to hurry up and learn the music and do the thing there. But, but he, was, he was marvelous. His timing was impeccable. And uh, I said that to him. I said, your timing is impeccable. He said, he said, Jack was better. Jack Benny mm-hmm. was better. He said, I could wait two minutes and I know the laugh is coming. Jack could wait five. You know, and he knew. He knew. I asked him, I'm going to tell you, I'm sure a story with you, if you have a minute. Sure. He, the, I said, I heard this story was true. I would like to hear it from you. In the old days, whoever was playing the Palladium, the next act would come over on a boat, on the boat a week early. They didn't fly. They didn't fly that time. Come over a week early. So Irving Fane had two clients, Jack Benny and George Burns. You know, George and Gracie and Jack and Mary. Jack and Mary are playing the Palladium, and now here comes George and Gracie to the hotel in London. And uh, Mary Livingston is waiting for Gracie in the lobby. And George says to Mary, where is Jack? She said, he's up in the suite. Just call him and tell him you're coming up. So George goes to the phone and says, Jack, it's George. I'm in the lobby. Where are you? He's a sweet 1601. So he's on his way up. In the meantime, Jack Benny takes off all of his clothes, except shoes, socks, garters, an attache case, an umbrella, and a Hamburg. Come in. Burns sent the maid up. Oh, no. <laughs> Burns sent the maid up. So I, so I cracked up. I said, well, that's what I heard. I said, do you know what he said to her? He said, not really, but I know what I would have said. I said, what's that? He said, is my suit back yet? <laughs> so his, his mind was like a steel trap. He was brilliant. He was. And, and listening to him sing, even though he only sings little snippets of lyrics every now and then, listening to him sing was 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 great. He just... I love watching. I love watching the George and Gracie TV show on on these little sub channels they have, like Get TV and Antenna TV. And then when I get to hear when I get to hear the radio show, it's even funnier. So it's just. Well, when I said that's how I got the part, 
we were at the Share Boomtown show, which is a charity event, and George had to follow Freddie Prince. And Freddie was hot at that time. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. He, got, he got a little, you know, a little off color, Freddie did. But he was funny. So George came out. He was putting his cigar in his holder. And he said, he said the, boy, the boy's good. So, so I'm not going to tell you any jokes. Instead, I'll, I'll sing a couple of songs for you. Mm-hmm. If you like them, I'll do one or two more. And, and, and if you don't like them, I'll do 40 or 50. <laughs> That's all, it. Bal- all, all balance. Wow. Now, he's putting the cigar in his holder. He said, when I was a young man, I used to like to smoke and drink and do other things. And, and now that I'm a much older man and I can't do certain things, you know, this whole habit's a hard to break. I'm still very careful how I put a cigar in the holder. <laughs> they just they they just don't make them like that anymore. Seriously, no, because, because there's no you know if if you took the f bomb out of a lot of comedians' mouth today, they'd have a two minute act. True, very true. And the guys I you know the guys I really loved like that mm. never were dirty. They made you think. Johnny Winters and I were very good. Jonathan Winters, mm-hmm. you never heard Jonathan utter dirty words. Nope. He said, Ron, if, if I embarrass that little old grandmother in the back row, I couldn't shave. That's right. What would, I always look like, what would Maude Frickard say, you know? Uh, uh, don't worry about it. It's going to happen. That's right. Uh, he was brilliant. So, he was brilliant. Out of, all, out of all the voice work you've done, all the, all the impressions you've done, who's your favorite? None. Not anymore. Whoever, whoever I plan on doing. When I did the All Army show, that was my act. I was doing impressions. Mm-hmm. I was doing Elvis and Bobby Darren and uh, Johnny Ray and uh, Joe E. Lewis and Shelley Berman. And mm-hmm. the reason I did them was no one else was doing them. Yeah. All the other great impressionists were still doing Cagney and Bogart and Edward G. Robinson and Lionel Barrymore. Those were the guys who were doing them. And they were all brilliant. They were mm-hmm. all much better than me. Mm-hmm. But I captured the essence. I mean, I had no idea that Elvis at that time was that biggest star. Mm-hmm. I played in Japan. I did Elvis in Japan for NHK, which at that time was the largest television network in the world. And the interpreter went out and told them in, in Japanese what I was going to do. You go into the NHK, press you on the Bobby Darren, and the audience went, ooh. You went to the NHK, Johnny Ray, ooh, got a lot of when he got to, he said, Elvis Presley, and the audience went nuts. <laughs> I mean, I was a hit before I walked, before I walked on stage. I can just imagine the Johnny Ray because he was one of the most. Uh, Freeberg, Freeberg did a great impersonation of of Johnny Ray on his uh, his parody record Try. I remember yeah. that. Oh man, great guy. The women loved him. Walking in the rain. Yep. Little White Cloud, he had he had double hits. Mm-hmm. The Little White Cloud, they cried. He was the only guy, he, he, he's the only guy I remember whose jaw was never seemed to be locked in one place. And he, and he wore that earring aid so you'd know I'm, why I'm yelling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right, well, as we wrap this up, Ron, and I want to thank you uh, ahead of time. This, this has right, been right. a wonderful interview. Um, what are you up to now? I understand that at one point you were doing a, you had developed a, uh, a one-man show about Mark Twain. Is that still going on? I did that. I don't, I don't, I don't do it anymore. There's a, there's a, uh, I recorded it, so I have it on recording if I want to do it. Uh, it it's, it's kind of tough. 
to do a 90-minute, you know, thing. with. I might do it again, but I, I loved it. I loved Twain. I loved uh, his philosophies of the short one-liners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the last line of the play is, what the hell did I say at the very end? Uh, oh, don't give up your illusions. Or if you do, you may still exist, but you have ceased to live. Wow, powerful. In other words, just keep your dreams alive. Absolutely. And then, yeah, I did that, and then we're developing something. Uh, I've been offered a couple of movies when they get the money. Uh, a lot of things are going on. I don't, I, don't, I don't quit, and an actor never really retires. I don't care what Daniel Day-Lewis says. You don't really retire. They just stop calling you sometimes. Well, I, I hearken back. Um, you're, I know you're familiar with Bill Scott and Paul Fries, uh, the, the Bullwinkle and Rocky, Jay Ward crew, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be part of an interview with a local radio station here interviewing Bill Scott, and he talked about Paul Fries, why he lived in Tiburon near San Francisco. And he yeah. says, well, Bill, in Los Angeles, I'm considered unemployed. In Tiburon, I'm semi-retired. <laughs> You, you can, listen, if you go to Disneyland, you can't help but hear him. That's right. He's there. That's like the expression, if you don't have money, you're crazy. Once you have money, you're eccentric. <laughs> That's true. That's true. How many guys do you know that would uh, sit around in their pajamas all day who just died? That's right. So tell him. I'm sorry, go ahead. If you didn't have money, you'd put them away, wouldn't you? Absolutely. So plug your website. Tell everybody where they can find you online. Yep. RonMasek.com. And I you, to keep easy. So you made my name I can remember. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's like we check, yeah, yeah. And, and I know I know there was a little bit of miscommunication in the emails. It's like I try, I'm, I'm, but I'm glad we got this worked out. Um, 81 years, still going strong. Your voice. Well, is I'm just... actually no. My my body is 81. My mind is 17. There you go. That's, that's the way I feel. I'm 57, and I'm, hopefully my emotional state will graduate from high school in another 10 or 15 years. Let me give you another George Burns line that, that, he, that he said to me. We can't prevent getting older. We can prevent being old. Excellent. Absolutely. That's something you love to, love to do and get up and do it every day. Absolutely. I, I am so blessed with a family. I've got a wife of 56 years, six children that are terrific, that you know, live within an hour of us, uh, never moved to a different state, had 10 wonderful grandchildren that we're, we're proud of. And that's that's the legacy a man leaves. Money doesn't mean anything. No, not at all. It really Ron, doesn't. Ron Masak, it has been an absolute pleasure. We thank you for joining us on the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion. Continued good health, continued success, and thank you for coming in. My pleasure. What an interview with Ron Masek, man. We could have talked for a couple of hours. Isn't he just amazing? We could have talked on any subject mm-hmm. for Absolutely. hours alone. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're going to stick in a remix here because we haven't done this in a while. We're, we're actually not going to do a remix. It's actually going to be a, uh, a, a hidden gem. So there will be no that character of mine that shows up every now and then. Monkeys! Monkeys! So. Oh, and here I thought I would get away with one episode without putting on the uh, echo chamber effect. That's right. <laughs> but uh, we have been lax in recognizing some of the other works of David and Peter. Um, uh, the one the one Davy cut that we've done so far was that beautiful, amazing, totally weird 2000 Daydream Believer remix that he did. So we're going to make up for that now. We're going to go back to Davy Jones for the record, Volume 4. 
And this is one of my favorite cuts off of this album. This is actually the one you and I talked about, or I've talked to you about it. This is the one I think that they should have redone as a foursome instead of Love to Love. Now, I understand that they wanted to give you know, some, but this this particular song just does it for me. You're talking about uh, posthumously like they did uh, Love to Love on yeah. Good Times. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's good times, like, yes. They should they should have given that they should have given this song the treatment like the Beatles gave Free as a Bird when they found the extra John vocal, rather than just putting additional background vocals on Love to Love. They could have done a little bit more with that, but that's me. And what is this song? The name of the song is called I Wanna Fall in Love with Someone. And here it is. There we go, taking you back to the early 90s. Uh, this was off of David's Just for the Record, Volume 4. Uh, you can find it on YouTube if you don't have it. Uh, it is out there. The entire album is loaded up, so it was 
had to do a little cutting and pasting to get that song, but we hope you like it as much. It's one of my favorite David solo songs. So all just, in all, we just wanted to give the Manchester Cowboy a little love. We've been very uh, heavy nice. on Mickey and Mike. Could it be because those are the two in the uh, famous blooper sequence that say, uh, that's a groovy button. What does it say? I knew they said something. Pithy that's right. Like that. They say pithy things like pithy. That. Absolutely. Don't get pithy with me. That's right. No, y'all cool. it. I'll never get through this if I don't. So, but yes, so we hope you've enjoyed today's little soiree. It's a short one. We hope we hope you've enjoyed the interview with Ron Masak. Uh, we hope to have him on again sometime. We can talk about other stuff. But uh, so that's it. Short and sweet, my friend. You know, Alan, there are Twix bars and Reese's peanut butter cups right out there with my name on them. I got to get out there. I got to put on one of my many costumes and uh, get my goodie bag ready. Well, you know, Al, it's because it's going to be Halloween. We want to wish all the ghouls and goblins out there as our monkey fandom. We want to wish them a very happy Halloween, and we are glad that they are still part of us over these years, so we thank you so very much. You mean the little ghouls like Ken Mills and Sarah Clark? Of course, the people at the Zilch Podcast, the people at the uh, Monkey's Live Almanac, our good friend Natty Moss Bond, our new good friend who you'll meet next... I can't say his name yet because of the fact we haven't gotten to that pre-production episode yet. But thank you to Ron Mayfect account. He was a wonderful, wonderful guest, wouldn't you say? Ah, ah. I, yes, I would have to agree with you, sir. So we want to thank all the people at the Zilch Podcast. We want to, and we want to let you know that we appreciate you all listening to us. Ah, ah, ah. And I'm shifting back and forth between voices, and I cannot do it like Ron Masak does. The count. Well, as you know, man, this is a, uh, a labor of love. I don't know what monster this is. It sounds like. Uh... Oh, you're trying to do. Hey, what you're man. trying to do. You're trying to do it, El Diablo. El no, Diablo. that is another episode, man. Oh, that's for our Cinco de Mayo. That's right. That's thing. <laughs> but. As always, the, most, the, the the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast is simply a podcast for monkey fans by monkeys fans. That's right. Alan Bigley and Alan Williams have no connection whatsoever to Michael Nesmith, Mickey Dolenz, the late estate of David Jones, Peter Tork, Rhino Records, Andrew Sandoval, and hundreds of hundreds of other people that are involved with the monkeys some way, somehow. Now, wait a minute. You know, you're, you're really hogging things with these voices you do, but... I think you've forgotten there's a certain Batman that hasn't been invited to the show. Well, of course, my friend. Let me let me get him on the phone. Hello, hello, hello. Is it? it? It's that phone, sir. You know, Bela Lugosi wasn't the only Batman out there at the time. That's true, but he was the one, of course. But Adam West never said, children of the night, what music they make. Very true. We're going to be here forever. Okay, everyone have a safe and happy Halloween. Absolutely. Make sure uh, make sure you take care of the kids and just go out there and have a good time. Be safe. Eat lots of candy because your dentist will love you for it. And until next time, this is Al Bigley. And this is Alan Williams reminding you to save, save the, the Texas, Texas Prairie, Prairie chicken. chicken. Wow, what a groovy looking chick. Oh, come on. That costume wouldn't fool anybody. What do you mean? Is it the zipper? No, it's the sideburns. <laughs> Don't now. Now, really, everybody cool it because I won't be able to get through this. Action. That's right, there's bonus content with this episode. What you're about to hear now is a rare blooper 
We don't make a lot of those on this show. Well, actually, it's not a blooper. It's sort of a behind-the-scenes peek. When we asked Ron Mazak to record a little promo for this particular episode. So take a listen and have fun. And it's in black and white, so don't worry, your set is just fine. Thank you. It says love is the ultimate trip. Oh, that's a nice thought. Ron Mazak, you're listening to Al and Allen on the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast, and you owe me oh, extra for that mouthful. Hold on, I gotta write the last one down. <laughs> you're not the, the only Texas. Celebrity. The Texas... Texas Prairie Chicken. Prairie, hold it. I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Chicken. Home Companion. Home Companion. You know, we worked with, speaking of the Halloween theme, we worked with Butch Patrick of the Munsters. Oh, yeah. Because he did a Monkey's... Well, he did the Monkey's Christmas episode. And well, yeah. just so you know, he couldn't get the uh, the order of the name right either. So you're in good company. Well, if you had a shorter name... <laughs> Yeah, I think we should think about that. Now, do we want him to, uh, since we can make a short commercial promo coming up soon, you will hear me, the Count, yeah. in a yeah. special Halloween episode of the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion. How about that? Would you, yeah. Something that, that puts it in the future tense. Now you're getting pushy, you guys. Oh, <laughs> now, now it means money. Uh, so, well, you, oh. think we, you think we were Cubs fans or something, you know? Okay, tell me when you're ready. Whenever you are, go right ahead. Wait, first of all, tell me if it's an afternoon show or an evening show. Uh, it's a whenever show. <laughs> it's when, it's whenever we get it. It's whenever we get it recorded. We Al Al does all the post production work and gets it uploaded. <laughs> okay. I bid you welcome. This is Ron Nasak, the Count from Monsterish Monkey Mash, inviting you to tune in to these wonderful gentlemen on the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion. Wonderful. Bless you, my friend. Beautiful. Thank you so very much. It has been a blast. I hope we may, maybe down the road we will get together and, and we can we can discuss more about the career because you're you you will always be one of my favorite voiceover artists and one of my favorite comedic actors. Well, thank you, and we'll have a, we'll share a cup of cup of blood together. Absolutely. Thank you so very much. I, I, I. Take care, Ron. You're welcome. Bye bye.